Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go to the book of 2 Peter. It's almost in the back of your Bible. It's almost to the end, almost to all like the like concordance and the dictionary and the notes. So, you know, you can go there. Um, we are excited to be back together. I'm going to show you a picture here, and I want you to just to kind of turn to someone around you, and I want you to tell them who this person is, all right? So tell somebody just kind of right next to you, or you can shout it out, whatever. Who is this a picture of? All right. So, if you said the queen, you are wrong. Here is why. This is what's called a deep fake, and from, it was from a Christmas message a couple years ago. Meaning, this wasn't really her. It was a video that looked like her, but it wasn't really her. Deep fakes are just basically really, really complicated video editing stuff that uses AI to mimic the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Looks like her. Okay, and if you watch the video clip, it sounds like her, but it's also, when you watch it, it's also just that little bit of like, this is not quite right. It's just like a little bit off. So you can, you can Google it later on your own. Um, but if you said the queen, you are wrong because this is not really her, right? So our scripture this morning talks about false teachers in the church. So false teachers bring a message about God or about the gospel that seems good. It seems pleasing or desirable. They may look like the real thing, and yet, like deepfakes, they are not true. They mimic the truth. And the danger is, is it's possible for us to believe things about God and the gospel that are not true. And it's possible for us to spread beliefs about God and the gospel that are not true. And when I say true, I mean like in line with Scripture. Why is it possible? Because our, by nature, we as humans rebel against God. That's like our default position is like, I'll do it my way. Our flesh, our sinful nature, will fight against what is true about God because we want to please ourselves. We want, as humans, in our sinful nature, we want a gospel that feels good to us, that matches what our rebellious, prideful nature desires. So how do we guard against this? We're going to see from Scripture this morning how, how we can be aware and guard ourselves. Our main point that we want to look at this morning is be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. Be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. We're continuing our series called Exiles, a study of First and Second Peter. So we have today and then next week is the final week of that. And so all through this series, here's what we've seen. Peter's audience is a group of Christians living in what is modern-day Turkey at the time. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. For them, it was not. Um, they are referred to as exiles. Peter says, hey, he writes them, and he addresses them as exiles. And it's not the sense of, like, Napoleon, you are exiled to this island. It is the sense they were living in a place that wasn't their true home. They were the minority. They were surrounded. They did not—they um, were living as Christians in a place where it wasn't popular. 
So the letters of First and Second Peter help us to see how to live out our faith as exiles because it's the same for us. When we're surrounded by a world and a culture that is not cheering on our faith in God. How do we follow Jesus in that? As exiles, we can live in the world, and you probably know this phrase, but not of the world. It's kind of what it, that's a good little short definition of what it means to be an exile. We live here. We eat, we drink, we interact, we go to work, we go to school, we live in the world. This is our life. But we are not of the world, of the system and the thinking and the ideologies of the world. We are of another world, which is not like to talk about like aliens, but we are of the kingdom of God. We belong to a different kingdom. So we can live in the world and not of the world, representing the way of Jesus and how we live and act and interact with others. So we're going to look at the, the end of 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we're going to look at all of 2 Peter chapter 2. I'll be honest, some of this passage gets a little bit strange. So, Contained in this passage are the words donkey, vomit, dogs, and pigs. So kids, listen up. Be, be aware when you hear those words, okay, you're going to hear them. So there's some weird things going on in 2 Peter chapter 2, but hang with us. Um, what we'll see as we read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 are really like a summary of the entire passage. So we're going to read up to verse 3, and then we'll pull some of the others um, in as we go. So Peter writes to warn the church about false teachers. So 2 Peter, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 16. It's going to be on the screen as well. Here's what it says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many of you will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray as we jump into this this morning. God, again, as we come before you, we ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts. Would you draw us near? Would you give us insight to understand what you're speaking to our hearts? And I pray for each one of us in this very moment that we would let down our guard, we would humble ourselves and say, God, whatever you want to do in me, I'm yours. So God, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. We're going to look through this, and there's two kind of categories we're going to look at. And like any good sermon, there's also subpoints. So these will be on the screen also. But the two categories, we're going to look at the true gospel and counterfeit gospels. 
So let's start with the true gospel. In order to recognize counterfeit gospels or the messages of false teachers, we must know the true gospel. In 1 Peter, in verses 16 through 21, what we just read there, Peter is pointing to the true gospel. Verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying is, when we presented Jesus to you, it was not something we made up. We saw it with our own eyes. We were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus. And Peter is referring here to what's called the transfiguration. You can go to Matthew chapter 17 or other places in the Gospels as well. And Jesus took his three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. And there they saw Jesus in all of his power and glory. They heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Right? We often think, man, it would be so great if I could just hear an audible voice from heaven. God can do that if he wants, I don't know, but most of us probably have not experienced that. But Peter, along with James and John, he was there up on this mountain and heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so Peter's point here, we didn't make this stuff up about Jesus. He truly is the Son of God. Peter's saying, I was with him. I ate with him and talked with him and witnessed his miracles and heard the voice of God say, this is my Son, and I saw the risen Jesus with my own eyes. Peter said, we didn't make this up. It's not a myth. You look down at verses 19 through 21. It again, is reiterating that the message of the gospel was not someone's just idea that they came up with. It was given by God through the Holy Spirit, written down by people. And what Peter is trying to communicate to his audience and to us is the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what the, who the risen Savior is, was not this constructed idea made up by someone. He saw it. He witnessed it. He saw the glory and the power of Jesus. It came from God. One commentary I read says this, Peter assures his audience that in contrast to the lies of false teachers that he's going to talk about later in the letter, the teachings about Jesus, Jesus' return, he has passed on, let me say that again, the teachings about Jesus' return he has passed on is authentic and reliable. Peter's preaching is not based on something he made up, but on both his firsthand experience of Jesus and the truth of scriptures. Therefore, his readers can be confident of its accuracy. And so maybe you're asking, okay, the true gospel. What is the true gospel? We talk about this often. It's easy to forget it. It's easy to miss things. I'm going to read just clearly a clear description of what is the gospel. The word gospel is a word that simply means good news. So what is the good news? The good news actually starts with a bit of bad news. Every person is born with sin, with what the Bible calls sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God's perfect design for our lives. This leads to brokenness in our lives, broken relationships, broken promises, and a sense of longing and emptiness that cannot be filled. We can try to be good and religious, or we can try to escape from the emptiness but it only leaves us broken still. So here's the good news. God loves you. 
He loves you enough to send his own son, Jesus Christ. And scripture teaches Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for you and I. You and I were unable to pay for our sins, but Jesus was able to because he is fully God and fully man. Not only did he die, three days later he rose from the dead. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and turns away from sin, will be forgiven, made new, and brought into relationship with God. This is the good news, the message of the gospel. So how can we know that we are hearing the true gospel and not something made up by humans? Well, I think that in the same way that the people of Peter's day could trust Peter as an eyewitness, so can we. I'm not going to go super deep into it, but when we think about Scripture, there is all kinds of proof and evidence of original manuscripts that go all the way back. And so whatever someone believes about the Bible, the Bible is, what we have is what was written in the beginning. So you still have to wrestle with beliefs and people have to wrestle with that, but what we have is what Peter wrote. And so Peter's eyewitness matters for us. We can say, we have this firsthand account of someone who was with Jesus. So I think that matters. But we also, how do we know if it's the true gospel or not, is any, if anything that we hear does not match up with the truth, truth of the gospel, it's a false gospel. If there's something added to it or taken away from it, it's a false gospel. So in order to recognize counterfeit gospels, we must know the true gospel. And that's our desire here as a church, is to regularly talk about that teach it, look at it from scripture, see how it impacts our lives because it matters that we know that we are believing and following the true gospel. We must be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. So that's the true gospel. Second segment is this, counterfeit gospels. And there's some sub points. And the first one is this, there will be false teachers. Verse one says, there will be false teachers. It's, it's interesting to see the word false comes from the word pseudo, which means, and it means like to lie. So it's false, it's not real, it's fake, it's a lie. Peter also points out, there will be false teachers among you. He's writing to the church, right? It'd be easy enough to say like, hey, exiles, it's difficult out there, it's tricky, people are gonna try to like sway you and, and, and pull you away from Jesus, you know, the people out there. But that's not what Peter's talking about. He says there will be people among you in the church who come in and try to teach things that are not true, that are lies. It's important to remember that, that, that we, it brings, a, 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 I think, a humility to us as a church to say, that could be true for us too. It's not about the world out there. It's, it's about us in here, right? So, and, and you look at verse 1 of 2 Peter. He says, um, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. This has proven true throughout history. When you look back through church history, there are countless destructive teachings that have led people away from the truth of the gospel. It's no different for us. We have to be aware, and it should come as no surprise that there will be false teachers. Jesus warned of this as well. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he said to his disciples, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We might think that and be like, hey, watch out for those wolves. But what's the problem? They look like sheep. They act like sheep. 
but they're in disguise. Side note, um, there's no like agenda this morning of like, there's a false teacher among us and I'm calling, no, that's not it. So, <laughs> but we must be aware that there is the possibility for false teachers in our church and in the church. So there will be false teachers. Second subpoint is this, the character, what are some characteristics of false teachers? In verses 11 through 22, which we didn't read, but we're going to highlight some things here, describe these false teachers and the characteristics of their message. So what, is the char- what are some characteristics of their message? In verse 2, it says, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. False gospels are of the flesh, or fleshly. This idea of sensuality, it's that these false teachings came in, they were pleasing to the flesh. They were messages that came in and said, do whatever feels good. If you want to do it, go for it. Their gospel, the, the false gospel was of the flesh, pleasing to the flesh. Secondly, there's in verse 14 um, that we didn't read, it says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. The message that comes is enticing. That's the problem. False teaching is often attractive. Right? There are teachings out there that say, If you have enough faith, then God's going to make you rich. Well, that's enticing to our human nature, but it's not true. (laughs) Others say, do whatever feels good for you. Don't worry about what God says. Well, that is enticing to our human nature, our rebellious nature. So these messages often will be enticing. And thirdly, they will promise freedom. In verse 19, it says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. False teachings promise freedom, freedom to do what we want, to be who we want, to pick and choose our beliefs about God. And as I've already said, anything that is Jesus plus something, you add something onto the gospel, is a false teaching. And anything that's Jesus minus something, you take away a piece of the truth of the gospel, it is a false teaching. So what are some characteristics of the false teachers themselves? One commentary kind of gave these three categories. It says they act in secret, they deny God, and they behave immorally. First one, they act in secret. Verse 1, Verse 1 uses the word secretly. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They are sneaky. It's acting in secret, trying to deceive. It goes on to say they are greedy. Verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. They exploit, which is this idea of like using people in like a business transaction just to get something out of them. They are greedy and exploiting people. We see that in verse 3, but also in verses 15 through 16. So it's, it's again describing them. It says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, he was, but was rebuked by his, for his own transgression. A speechless donkey, there you go, spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. What is happening there? Well, this goes back to the Old Testament to this guy named Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. And Balaam was a prophet, but he believed that he could curse what God had blessed for his own gain. Basically, this king hired him to go and give a message, and to give the king was like, here's what I want you to say. And Balaam was like, okay, I'll do it. Pay me, and I'll say what you want me to say. As he's on his way, we, you may know the story of 
the talking donkey. This was God used this donkey to stop Balaam from doing what God had, did not want him to do. But the characteristic of Balaam was he was greedy. He was like, I'll say whatever just to get paid. He was doing it for his own gain. So they are greedy. In verse 14, again, we already read, it says, They entice unsteady souls. They entice unsteady souls, which means that false teachings come in and they prey on the weak. Have you ever been to like a super touristy place that had like a market where you could like barter and you know like, oh, you know, I'm going to buy this little drum or I'm going to buy this t-shirt. Show of hands? Yeah, I've been there many times. Okay, you got to be careful with these places, right? Because if you go and you get off by yourself, you are the weak and they are going to attack and they're going to be like, hey, buy this, buy this, buy this. I have had people give me things for no money because they wanted to sell me something so badly, which doesn't make sense, right? Um, and so you got to get off on your own. They are going to be like, hey, we're going to sell something to that guy, to that moron, right? So this is the nature of false teaching. They prey upon the weak. They entice unsteady souls. Meaning that it's possible in any church, there will be people who are new in their faith or growing in their faith and yet not completely set in understanding what the gospel is. They are unsteady souls and false teachings will come to try to entice them and pull them away. Another characteristic is that they, they deny God. In verse 10, it says, talking about these false teachers, it says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Okay, what's it talking about? They are bold and willful. They are basically walking into the room saying, I'll do whatever I want and nobody can stop me. It says they do not tremble. There's no humility. There's no fear of God or understanding of the power of God. They are unwilling to humble themselves before God. You jump down to verses 20 through 22. And it's, uh, it says, it's talking about these guys. It says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So They've come to know Jesus, but then it says, if after that they are entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So what this is showing us is that these false teachers often come in, hey, I believe the gospel. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then after time or after something, they turn away and say, ooh, I can make this about me. I can get something from this. And Peter's saying they would have been better off never putting their faith in Jesus if they're going to turn and lure people away with false teaching. And then he jumps um, to, he gives an example here and it's from verse 22. It says, it's telling us they know, they knew God and yet they deny him. Verse 22 comes from Proverbs chapter 26. And here's what it says. What the proverb, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, a pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Peter, what are you talking about? What, he, what he's doing is painting a picture of these false teachers. They have denied God returning to their sin in the same way that a dog returns to its own vomit, which is a very, I don't need to expound, that is a very um, clear, vivid picture, if you've ever had a dog, right, okay? Um, they go back to their own sinful nature. They go back to 
something that is far less than the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And it says, like a pig to the mud, right? You get a pig, you, pigs don't want to be clean. They want to go wallow in the mud. They deny God. And thirdly, these false teachers, they behave immorally. Verse 12, it says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their suffering. They, are, they behave immorally. They are irrational, creatures of instinct, meaning they just do whatever comes next. They're living according to their own flesh. In verses 13 and 14, it says, Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They revel in the daytime. They're not even hiding their sin. They don't even care who sees it. Their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. I mean, they, they are craving sin. Verse 18, it says, Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They are living foolishly, folly, in sensual passions. In verse 19, it says, They promise their freedom, promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. These false teachers are enslaved to their own sin. All of this is painting a picture of someone who is centered on themselves, living to please themselves, doing whatever feels good and right to them. This is the characteristics of these false teachers. The final segment, final sub-point here, is this idea of rescue and judgment. We see this in verses 4 through 10. And the main idea here is that God will punish the wicked but rescues the righteous. Read through this, this part here. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the world, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from, the tri from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Okay, so this whole segment is an if-then statement. He's saying if, if God did not spare the angels but condemned them because of their rebellion, if God did not spare the ancient world but, in, but did spare Noah and his family, if God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, these are stories from the Old Testament that God, where God brought judgment, if God did not sp spare Sodom and Gomorrah but he spared Lot, who was a man at that time, if all of that happened, then, in verses 9 and 10 that we just read, then God knows how to rescue the godly and bring judgment on the wicked, in this case, the false teachers. Now, here, here's why this matters. One commentary says, as those who lead others astray, false teachers will receive their due punishment from God. For Peter, the past actions of these teachers show that a fate of the wrath of God is inevitable. 
There is rescue that comes for those who are righteous, and there is judgment that comes for those who walk in wickedness. And the point here is this. God is not playing games. There will be judgment to come for false teachers, for those who lead others astray. We must be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. Three things to apply. There's to, as we kind of make this more personal in our lives this morning, I've got three questions and one encouragement. Question number one, what gospel are you believing? And it's easy to say, yeah, I believe the gospel, but how does that play out in our lives? Do our thoughts and our actions show that we believe the true gospel? Because we can say that we believe that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, through Jesus. But in reality, we're still trying to earn our way to God. Or we can say that Jesus is the only way to God, and yet we live as if there are many ways to get to God. We can believe that Jesus, by his resurrection, has conquered sin and death. But we can still be living as if death is like the end. And that this life right now, what here is, what's here in front of us, is all that matters. What gospel are you believing? Because what, what you believe is forming you. So what is it that's forming you? Right, these false teachings, sorry, these false teachers were trying to form people to a new set of beliefs about God. Similar, similarly, that's a tough word, our culture is trying to form you and I to a new set of beliefs. Every commercial that we see, every ideology, every popular opinion is trying to form you and I to be like the world. So it can happen in the church, and it definitely does come from outside the church as well. So we've got to be aware of this. This is why discipleship matters, because discipleship is counterformation. My wife makes fun of me for using words like counterformation, but hey, you know what? It's all good, right? There's formation. The world is trying to form us. Discipleship is counterformation. It's forming us not in the way of the world, but in the way of Jesus. What? gospel are we believing? We must examine and evaluate what gospel we are believing. And not just the words, not just the like, oh yeah, I, I believe that, but what are we living out? What are we really believing in our lives? Is it true or is it counterfeit? Second question, what gospel is your life displaying? I already said, we have to examine our lives. We just gave a bunch of characteristics about these false teachers. Are we living like these false teachers? Because we can say that we believe the gospel, and yet our life, our words, our actions, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the, the stuff we do when we're alone, our life displays something different. So we looked at these false teachers. They act in secret. They deny God. They behave immorally. They are not only teaching a false gospel, they are displaying it with their lives. And so, this morning, while you and I may not be false teachers, the truth is we can carry some of these characteristics in our life. And we need Jesus. We must examine our hearts. 
Are we displaying the true gospel or are we displaying a counterfeit gospel? Third question, what does this look like in our church? Again, the context, he's writing to the false teachers among you. So he was telling this church, these, these exiles, hey, there's going to be people among you. So what's that look like for us? Right? First of all, we can't be blind to the fact that false teaching can creep into our church. And we must compare everything we hear with the true gospel and with God's word. I've, we've said this before, like, you know, for those of us that preach up here, myself and Graham and Dylan and others at times, it is, it's a serious thing. And we take it very seriously to say, okay, what is scripture saying? What does it matter? How can we put, how can we bring this into our lives? It's really important. But we're human. We are failable. For you sitting here, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's word is that you can have a copy of God's word. You can read it. And the moment that I was to say something, you're like, that seems weird. That's, you have the, 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 the responsibility as a Christian and you have the privilege to say, I've never, you know, never heard that. And sometimes if it's like, I've never heard that before, that can be a, like, oh, wow, you're learning. Or it can be like, Maybe there's a reason you've never heard that before. Maybe it's just off, right? So the point is, we take this very seriously and we want to preach the gospel. But church, all of us have a responsibility to say, does that line up with the gospel? Does that line up with what God's word teaches? So I think this matters on like a global level when we think of like the church around the world obviously false teaching creeps into the church like capital c like everything i think the biggest and most obvious way right now in our lives the most obvious way that false teaching can creep into the church is through social media you can find countless instagram accounts that look wonderful and say things that seem wonderful but they are just false <laughs> right they look good but they are not the gospel we already said, like, it's very easy in the church around the world that people can take the gospel and try to add something to it. Yes, we are saved by grace, but you also need to dress this way or act this way or do this thing in order to really be saved. That's a false teaching. Or Jesus and take away something like, yeah, the gospel's good, but we don't, we don't really have to believe that we're, we're sinful by nature you know, we're, we're pretty good people, right? And Jesus is just a good example for us to follow. It's false teaching. And these things and, and many other things creep into the church. Sometimes they're based on our own effort and our own works. Sometimes it's like legalism and sometimes it's just lawlessness. Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Whatever makes sense to the culture around us. And these are false teachings that creep into the global church. But then we think about, okay, let's talk about Renaissance, our church. And we have to ask ourselves, are we living and growing in the true gospel with each other? Are we getting to know the true gospel, preaching it to each other and preaching it to ourselves regularly? And do we love each other enough to humbly correct each other when we get off track? Because the gospel lets us do that. The gospel says, hey, I'm imperfect and so are you and we both need Jesus. And so it doesn't have to be like, you know, dropping the hammer on someone and saying like, you are just awful person, you are wrong. It's saying, hey, you know, the gospel, this is what the gospel says, but this is, 
what you're saying, how you're living isn't right. And that requires trust and that requires love. And we as a church can grow in that and it guards us against false teachings. Finally, those were the three questions and encouragement. The encouragement is this, God knows how to rescue. This is an encouragement for exiles. We saw this in verse nine, that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials from temptations. And this might seem like it doesn't fit, but here's how it fits. Peter's saying, hey, exiles, church, don't panic. Don't give up. Don't give in to false teachings because God knows how to rescue you. Because think about it in practical terms. When suffering comes, which these people were facing suffering and difficulty, we've seen that in 1 Peter. When suffering comes and a false teaching comes in that says like, I don't worry about that. Make your life more comfortable. Make it easier. It's tempting to run and say, okay, yeah, that feels much better. And Peter's saying, God knows how to deliver you. God knows how to rescue you. Don't panic. Keep believing the true gospel. You're going to be tempted to give in to false teaching, to take what looks like the easy way, but Peter's saying, don't. Hang in there. God knows how to rescue you. We must be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. We must learn to recognize and grow in the true gospel. Church, there is nothing more beautiful and glorious than Jesus and the work that he has done and the beauty of the gospel that we will never get to the bottom of and what it means in our lives and the grace of God towards us. We can place our hope in him. We can hope in him until the day dawns. In chapter one, we read this phrase that says, and you would do well to pay attention, in verse 19, to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is a picture of the return of Christ. We can put our hope in him and hang on and keep going and stay true to the gospel because Christ is coming again. So, why do false gospels exist? Because it's really easy for us to be like, oh, I would never, right? But why do they exist? They exist because of our rebellious, sinful human nature. Sinful, our sinful nature likes false teaching. It wants them. We have to come to terms with that. And we have to see this morning, it is only Jesus who rescues our hearts and brings us to a place where we say, I want Jesus and I want the true gospel. I don't want all that stuff that just makes sense to me and makes me feel good. I want Jesus. I've already walked through what the gospel says this morning, but just that reminder that we are broken and sinful and have no way to get to God on our own. And yet Jesus has accomplished everything so that our, on the cross and through his resurrection so that our sin can be forgiven. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought into relationship with God. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning and maybe you have been for a long time, ask yourself this morning, are you living in the gospel daily? Is it dictating the way that you think, the way that you act, the way you spend your time and your money? Are you living in the gospel it's easy to slip back into saying, well, I've got to earn something from God. I've got to perform. I've got to do this, or I just want to do things my way. Are you living in the gospel? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've got questions, you're, you're, you're searching this stuff out, 
The reality this, this morning is you are believing a counterfeit gospel. You may not like purposefully be doing that, but you are believing something about God that is not true. And in that, God welcomes you to come to him. He invites you to put your faith in him and to know the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sin, relationship with God. God welcomes you to come to him. If the worship team wants to come, we're gonna close our time together in worship this morning as we sing this song, in Christ alone my hope is found and this song is such a picture of the gospel. And my encouragement this morning, if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to put your faith in him, we would love to talk to you. If you are a Christian, my hope is that this morning you heard the gospel in a fresh way. Church, let's be on guard against counterfeit gospels in the church. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.